Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Today's special guest was born in Monterey, Mexico. He came to the United States to attend high school. He obtained a BA in economics and French from Austin's Austin College in Sherman, Texas. He earned his Master of Divinity and Doctor of Ministry degrees at McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago. He became a U.S. citizen in 2007. He is a pastor with the Presbyterian Church USA. He has ministered at the congregational and regional levels. He served for 11 years in several capacities at the regional level. As a bilingual and bicultural leader, he supported the Presbytery's ministry with the Latino population in two cities and international partnership with Mexico and the Dominican Republic. He felt the call back to a local congregation. And in 2015, he accepted a call to be the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Indiana. He felt drawn to the congregation's long history of supporting social justice issues and interfaith dialogue. He has worked to promote cultural dialogue, honor diversity, and advocate inclusion of all people in the community. He has served in committees organized by a former Indianapolis mayor and a U.S. congressman focused on Latino issues. He currently serves on the boards of the Heritage Fund of Bartholomew County and Sucasa Columbus. Among his hobbies, he enjoys taking pictures, running half marathons, and singing tenor in choir. He and his wife, Tracy, have two sons, Montez, who's 20, and Michael, who's 18, and their dog, Bella, a Beagle Australian Shepherd. Please join me in welcoming the Reverend Dr. Felipe Martinez. His topic, We're Channels of God's Love. Welcome, Felipe. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Felipe, how did growing up in Monterey, Mexico impact you? This who I am, that I was raised by my mom and dad in the city of Monterey, Mexico. It is where I found my roots in terms of my culture and in terms of my faith. Being raised in the Presbyterian Church in Monterey, Mexico, I was Born and raised there and 14, almost 15, when I came to the United States to to go to high school. So being born in Monterey, which is a big city, gave me a cosmopolitan upbringing involved with or connected with several cultures and where I I started to learn English and I I was connected with family and friends. So it was hugely structural to who I am as a person. I do feel that God has guided me to become bilingual and bicultural and being in the United States since I was basically 15 
And so that has had an impact in how I feel that I can share my gifts because I feel myself uh, as a bridge person who can help folk connect with each other has allowed me to minister with the Latino population, but also it has allowed me to make other bridges with other people or help other people find themselves on the bridge, connecting with people who might be from a different culture or background. Thank you. Tell me more about your parents and how they've influenced your life. Mom and dad are uh, a huge influence, a foundational influence in my life. Dad, Luis Ruben, he was a teacher and he taught for 60 plus years in Mexico. Public school teacher started in a one room schoolhouse and went all the way up to teaching teachers in a teacher's college in Mexico. He received an award from the president of Mexico for excellence in teaching and for his longevity in teaching. You're a Rotarian. He received the Paul Harris Award in Monterey, Mexico, uh, given by the Rotarians. My dad was a person of great faith and stamina and strength and determination. He had an accident when he was 17 years old and lost his right arm. Incredibly, he survived and was able to be okay. And he lived his life, majority of his life, just with his left arm, which was his non-dominant arm. And yet he accomplished a great many things in spite of that difficulty. He met my mom in a small town in Mexico outside of Monterey. My mom was a, a person of amazing faith and just tremendous, tremendous determination. They married and they were married for 62 years and had a family of six, six kids. I'm the fifth out of six. I came late in life for mom and dad. My dad was 52. My mom was 41. My mom was a homemaker. She was uh, an amazing mom, wise. She was someone who was friends with everybody. And she was a, an influence on people, both in our neighborhood and in the church. We belong to the Presbyterian Church in Mexico, and she was very active in that. My mom passed away May 22nd of this year at the age of 95. My dad passed away at the age of 93 on his birthday on June 23rd of 2006. These moments allow me to remember them and their life and their influence and honor them. Now, both of them gone. It's, it's a new stage in life for us as a family, but I'm so grateful for them and for their example, their Christian witness. Thank you. Now, as you think about what it means to say all are welcome, it's easy to say, but what does it mean when we say all are welcome? I love that we as a church can say all are welcome. And as you are saying, it is easy to say, it is harder to live into and live out. Because when we say all are welcome means that we are being reminded of the great diversity of God's creation and the great diversity within humankind of people who are searching for a faith and spiritual path. I am grateful that at First Press, we really emphasize that God speaks through each one of us. And so that means that we have to be attentive to how God speaks through each one of us. That is part of our Presbyterian heritage. The Presbyterian Church, in one of its foundational statements, talks about God alone is Lord of the conscience. That is to say that God speaks through the conscience of each individual, and it is up to each one of us to listen attentively to what God is saying. But it isn't just an individual exercise. Because we are a community and a congregation, that, need, that means that I have to listen to what God is saying through you, Keith, because God may be speaking through you in a way that I hadn't heard yet. 
though we support that kind of individual discernment, we also support that kind of corporate discernment, congregational discernment, community discernment, where by listening to each other, we are able to learn what God is saying to each one of us. And so to say that we are all welcome means that we are seeking to hear God through each one of us. That can come with some challenges. There, it can come with people who have different perspectives and opinions. And so then comes the gracious and pastoral care nature of ministry, where we are supportive of each other, listening to each other, bearing each other's burdens, not just dismissing each other if we don't agree on something or voting somebody out because we don't agree on, some, on something, but rather we seek to live in that tension. The Bible is full of examples where there is some of that tension, where there's difference of opinion. And, and through a communal discernment, we see where God is leading us. And it is also an attitude of, of learning. That is to say, we don't have all the answers. We are in the process of learning the answers. We are in the process of having God speaking to us and giving us answers or giving us the direction. As part of the interview, when I was applying for First Presbyterian Church, I mentioned that if you're looking for a pastor to be there to give you all the answers, you're looking at the wrong guy. I'm here to help you with the discernment of more questions. And then for finding answers together, you're not getting an answer person, you're getting a question person. And so in that sense, I was letting them know that I was going to be challenging us to think through difficult issues. If we are really truthfully welcoming everyone, then that means all of us are going to get to hear the questions and all, all of us are going to participate in the answering of that question. It is a Presbyterian church. So, I mean, we have a Christian perspective on life. We are also an ecumenical congregation. That means that we work across different denominations. We work in collaboration with different denominations. And we also have interfaith interaction and connection. And so we work together with the Unitarian Universalist congregation, with our Jewish siblings, with our Muslim siblings in town, Buddhist community. And again, it is an issue of being welcoming of one another and welcoming all to the conversation, to the dialogue, to the living together of these challenges of life, knowing that each one of us is guided and knowing that God is working through each and all of us together. How would you respond to a Christian who believes that homosexuality is a sin? Well, I mean, I think that there are some biblical passages that might lead somebody to believe that being a homosexual person or that homosexual acts are sinful. And there are passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament where they could say, this is proof that such is the case. You're asking me how I would respond to somebody mm -hmm. uh, who feels this. I think that one of the challenges there is to have a conversation in a broader perspective. Because if we are picking out five or six passages in the scriptures as being the only guiding light on this, I think we might be missing the bigger picture. The way in which Jesus taught and spoke didn't create boundaries. We, God only loves these people. Rather, everything that Jesus did was to blow out those boundaries. And Jesus was constantly dismantling those barriers. And so when Jesus says, love God with all your being, love your neighbor as yourself, I think that what Jesus is, is challenging us to do is to break down barriers that might have been there prior to that. When Paul was speaking against homosexual practices in the Roman Empire, Paul was condemning pedophilia. Paul was condemning the fact that there were practices in the Roman army where there was pedophilia that was state-sanctioned, as it were, and temple prostitution in some 
Roman temples. So he was going against that from the perspective that somehow heterosexuality was the only thing that that existed or that was normative. You know, I think that we as Christians need to recognize that the spirit continues to speak to us even after the scriptures became the Bible in the sense that we have new knowledge, new scientific knowledge that allows us to think differently about different subjects about which the Bible speaks. For example, the Bible has very restrictive notions about the role of women in community or in church. And we have developed and, and evolved through that to, to have different perspectives of that. There is slavery cited in the Bible. There, you know, the patriarchs had slaves. And yet we have grown through that. Paul in, in Philemon is challenging us to think about it differently. Even Jesus has us challenge that notion of slavery. And so that we can grow past that or through that. I think the same thing is true for how we view homosexuality and human life. Because what we are realizing, what we are discovering is that that sense of identity, that sexual identity is something that's God-given and might be in ways that are more diverse than we anticipated or knew about. Now, that may be a concept that people might have a hard time with, and they might even say, well, it's not in the Bible. Yeah, okay. I will say that there are some things that are not in the Bible that we are pushing up against. But what we are saying, what I am saying is that God is guiding us to sort of expand and diversify our understanding of who God created, the true diversity or the full diversity of who God created. And obviously it has to be within the context of moral and ethical code, right? So that doesn't erase the mandate against loving your neighbor as yourself. So that means you treat your neighbor with within an ethical code of, of not stealing or not murdering or not lying or, or, or ways in which we create community with each other. But understanding that sexuality is a gift from God that has, has a diversity we didn't know about or we are growing to know more about. It's an important fact that we need to need to reconcile with our faith. And I think that some congregations, ours included, have been having this conversation for some time. Presbyterian Church USA acknowledges that uh, gay people are loved by God and they are created by God. And so they can be in leadership. And so the Presbyterian Church USA affirms that a gay person, a lesbian woman can be a minister in the Presbyterian Church because God has given them gifts. And if God is calling them to ministry, then through the discernment that everybody goes through, they might be able to reach that level of leadership. You can be a member of a church, you can be an elder or a deacon in a church, you can be a pastor in a church if you're in the LGBTQ community. But that's something that we have been growing into. That's not something that has been around for many, many decades in such an outward way. So we as a congregation, me as an individual leader, we continue to learn, we continue to grow. And I think that that's part of how we get to learn from one another and how we get to interpret the scriptures, because ultimately the way you ask that question, is something a sin, it has to do with how we interpret scripture and what we think about scripture and how we then apply it to our lives. And then coming back to the statement, all are welcome. How does it relate to GLBTQ community? Well, I think that our congregation has been welcoming of the LGBTQ community as it has grown in this knowledge or in this perspective. We have members who are members of the LGBTQ community. I think that we recognize as a congregation that they have gifts and talents that they share with us as a church, and we are grateful for them. We have people who are able to feel comfortable being a part of the church 
bringing up their children in the life of the church. And so I think that that is a very important way in which we, we say that we accept everyone. The challenge in that is that there are some people who still have a theological issue related to how they interpret the scriptures in terms of LGBTQ people. The question then is, how do we give enough room for that tension to be there without it being destructive? That really does depend on the willingness of all those individuals to have those conversations without minimizing each other's humanity, without minimizing each other's perspective before God or standing before God. That challenge of all are welcome is a challenge. I mean, it isn't just a marketing slogan. It's a challenge to live into and live out that perspective or that goal at times through tension and in difficult ways sometimes. LGBTQ folk feel a great deal of societal pressure and there's a a lot of self-harm that happens. And there's also violence against people. Transgender women and men face a great deal of violence around the world. Our congregation has a Transgender Day of Remembrance once a year in November, which is part of our acknowledgement of that those tragedies and sort of raising up our voice in advocacy. She recently moved uh, out of the community, but we had a member of the community who's a transgender woman who was instrumental, a transgender member of our church who was instrumental in making sure we had that Transgender Day of Remembrance. I think suicide among teens is, is a huge concern. Suicide among teens who are LGBTQ is particularly high. And we need to be mindful of that. And we need to then, by sharing that we as a congregation are open and welcoming and loving to all people, and that we are attentive to the LGBTQ community, I think it creates a safe place or at least a moment of respite or a place of respite as then they deal with societal pressures outside of the church. There is a strong movement about Black Lives Matter, and it seems to cause a reaction, a strong reaction. It's not all positive. Please share your view on Black Lives Matter. I think Black Lives Matter. I think that the way in which structural racism in the country has worked has made it as though Black lives didn't matter. When you think back to chattel slavery, Black lives didn't matter. They were just property. What a heinous concept that is. And as we have gone past the, you know, the abolition of slavery, we have lived as a country as though Black lives didn't matter in that, for example, they were not easily able or allowed even to vote because their opinion didn't matter. We have worked as a country in ways at which times the lives of Black people have seemed as though they are dispensable, as though they are not as important as others. There's a a rise of consciousness of pointing out the structural issues in that. And so to say emphatically that Black Lives Matter is to say We have a moral obligation to uh, uphold the value, the integrity of a person's life. And in this case, we are seeing a series of attacks, a series of of conditions that impact specifically Black people. Some of the people that I have heard resisting the notion of Black Lives Matter come back with the notion of saying all lives matter. I don't disagree at all that all lives matter. I think that is a statement that is true. Here's the thing, though. All lives will matter when Black lives matter. That's the issue. The issue is that if we were truly able to say that all lives matter in a way that has integrity, then we would have never had the issue of having to point out that Black lives matter. 
Black Lives Matter as a movement has allowed us to see structural racism with a new lens. And I think that some people are uncomfortable with the notion that there is structural racism in the country. They might even debate its, its, its truthfulness. I feel that we as a community, we as a country, are, we are growing in that awareness and growing in the way in which we're dealing with it. Uh, I am in solidarity with Black Lives Matter because I think it is consistent with my Christian faith. Thank you. What does it mean to invite people from a different faith to a gathering or a picnic? Well, it, it means, first of all, that we honor that the way God speaks to us has come through many different traditions and different cultures. And so for me to sit across um, a table and sharing a meal with a, a Muslim member of the community means that we share a sense of commitment and a sense of dedication to live a life of faith, to live a life of peace and community and support of community. I have much to learn from our Muslim siblings because theirs is a tradition that I am not very familiar with. There's an opportunity for learning about their particular religion, as well as different cultures that might be involved. There's a lot of American Muslims that are part of the community here, but there are also Muslims who have come from other countries. And so I also get to learn about how what it means to be a faithful person in Indonesia or in Yemen. And so that's an important part of just our community dialogue, right? And my opportunity then is also to express how I understand my faith and my religion and how that impacts my activity in the community. Because I am a Christian, I feel these things. Because I am a Christian, I act in these ways. That gives us an opportunity then to share with each other about our own perspectives of how we see God living in our lives and living, uh, helping us live uh, in a faithful way. That also comes to play when I connect with people who have no religious connection or a sense of faith. They might be humanists. They might be people who may consider themselves atheists or agnostics. And I think that those are opportunities also for learning because they come at their perspective on life with a great deal of integrity and determination to live out in a way that is ethical and moral. And so I value that. I have much to learn from them. They teach me about ethicists and philosophers whom I may not have been acquainted with. We get to seek common ground, which is, I think, important. Part of the possibility of interfaith work or just work across different divides is that we learn from each other. So to me, that's, that's crucial. What was it about First Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Indiana that called you? I became aware of First Presbyterian Church even before... I applied for the position. My good friend, Scott Hill, was the interim pastor here at Columbus, and we had visited Columbus and worshiped at the congregation on a couple of Sundays to be supportive of our friend. Scott and Candice are great friends of ours, and so we were aware of the congregation prior to my applying. At the time of applying, I was working in Illinois, actually, on a one-year stint it was supposed to be an 18-month stint as a transitional executive presbyter and stated clerk at the Presbyter of Great Rivers, which is based in Peoria, Illinois. Because it was a transitional position, they were going to be hiring a permanent person for that position. And the agreement that we had was that I could apply to that position. Sometimes in the Presbyterian Church, interims don't get to apply to the permanent position. When that opportunity came up, or nearly after one year of being there, 
and, and I acknowledged to them that I would be applying for the position, they rightly said that they were going to do a national search for that permanent replacement, which I think it's, it's absolutely the correct thing to do. And so because they were going to, going to do a national search, I said, well, okay, well, then I'm also going to search just in case when you search, you don't seek to hire me. And it was at that time that I checked in to see if First Press was still open as a congregation looking for a pastor. And I found out that it was. So I sent in my paperwork and received the paperwork from the congregation. In the Presbyterian Church, we don't have appointments as, as there might be in other denominations where a bishop sends a pastor to a particular church. In the Presbyterian Church, pastors look for positions, churches look for pastors. And then in conjunction with the presbytery, that call gets, gets ironed out. And so I, as I was looking at the paperwork for the church, I, I was very intrigued and impressed by the strategic goals that the church had, or they had created them within a couple of years of when I was applying under the leadership of Scott. And they were, and I'm paraphrasing now, they were fourfold. The first one was to promote or to have an everyday kind of spirituality, meaning that church doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings, that a spiritual life happens throughout our entire week, throughout our entire life. The second one was to reach out and nurture connections and membership of young families and to be able to stay connected with them and to draw from them their giftedness and to support them and also learn from them. The third one, which is the one that caught my eye the most, was to assess and address poverty in the community. And the last one was to gain a sense of clarity as how the church ministers with the LGBTQ plus community locally. And by that time, the Presbyterian, uh, First Presbyterian Church had already become a more light congregation. More light is a network of Presbyterian churches who minister with and, and draw from the leadership of the LGBTQ community. So that goal was already being worked on. All, all four of the goals were being worked on. But the third one, the one about assessing and addressing poverty struck me. And I asked them questions about it when we were interviewing it stood out to me based on the other kinds of uh, church paperwork or the other paperwork that I was looking at from other churches. And so I was intrigued by it. And, and I asked, you know, what they were doing, how they were thinking about it. I was told also in, in that context about the focus of social justice by the congregation. And they mentioned perhaps at that interview or perhaps at a subsequent time, the work and ministry of uh, Dr. Bill Loss, who was a pastor at First Presbyterian Church for upwards of 25, 30 years, ending in the early 70s. And they spoke with great admiration about his work in social justice in the community, as well as his teaching abilities and preaching abilities in connection with the national church. All of those things put together made me think of the ways in which I could be supportive of the ministry at First Presbyterian Church, how I could contribute to that ministry, and how I could learn from you in terms of the long history of social justice efforts, and just learning together about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I must confess that I'm a member of this church, and you have been a great pick. We feel blessed to have you. Thank you, Keith. As you look to the future, Felipe, what's next for you? You know, I think that God continues to use me in ways that I don't expect. God continues to surprise me. And I look forward to those continuing surprises. 
I ask God for clarity and for courage always to open just the one door, God, so that I know which one is yours, <laughs> and then courage to go through that threshold. I think that we as a congregation are going through a lot of learning and a lot of growth spiritually. And I, you know, I think that that's part of what happens in the future. Our congregation will celebrate its 200th birthday in 2024. I think it's important for us to think about that, not as looking backwards, what have we done, but rather looking forward. What does the next hundred years look like for our congregation? What are the seeds we are planting today that will give full fruit in 50 or 100 years? So having those kinds of conversations, I think, is really important and part of my future. And also, the whole concept of talking systemically, it's very much what I'm going to be about in the next few years if not through the end of my ministry. And that is, how do we ask the questions that allow us to think not just about an individual instance right now, but to pan back and see what the system is that is creating that situation? And then how do we address that system so that that injustice or that issue can be changed? Felipe, there is a listener right now who's engaged in this conversation with you. How can they stay connected with you? How can they learn more from you? I am grateful that you are listening to this podcast. So first of all, thank you. I am grateful because uh, Keith has a lot to teach, and I'm grateful to be a part of that conversation today. If you want to connect with us as a congregation and with me in person, go to our website, fpccolumbus.org. FPC, like First Presbyterian Church, columbus.org. And there, there will be all the contact information for me with my email, as well as ways in which you can connect with our church. And I will have that in the uh, show notes. And also there is a Facebook page where they can view the service on Sunday. Yes, the Facebook page is <clears throat> it's a Facebook group. If you do a search on Facebook for First Presbyterian Church Columbus, Indiana, you will see a group that will pop up. And so if you click on that, you'll be able to find us every Sunday at 930 Eastern Standard Time or Daylight Time, whatever the case might be. And if you need a quick link to that, just again, go to our website, fpccolumbus.org. And you'll be able to click through that to find our link to the Facebook group. And I'll have both in the show notes to make it easy for you if you, you want to stay in touch. Thank you so much, Felipe. I really appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of this today. Keith, thank you for your leadership and your mentoring and your open spirit. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers in Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers in Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us. 